For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. They supported the show for over two years now, and I've used HubSpot for the majority of my professional career. One of the most useful tools that is included in the HubSpot suite of products is Sales Hub. Sales Hub is an all-in-one platform built with the tools and insights that you need to communicate on a personal level with every lead, every prospect, every customer. It doesn't matter what kind of business you're building, Sales Hub makes it easier to close more deals and drive more revenue. If you're looking for a better way to acquire customers, and we all are because that is the lifeblood of our business. If you're looking to make smart, data-driven decisions, increase visibility, productivity, predictability of your revenue, you gotta look at Sales Hub. It can organize and sort deals in your pipeline. It creates reminder tasks for your most important deadlines. It manages leads. It automates outreach. It tracks and closes deals all in one place. And on top of that, it's free to get started and it grows with your business as it scales. There's 1,300 integrations and a ton of valuable add-ons. Customize it exactly to your needs. With Sales Hub, closing deals is no longer a big deal. Go to hubspot.com sales and try it for free. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate you coming on. This is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. No, it's my pleasure. I want to start with a question that always sort of confuses me about creativity and design. And I'm curious about your take because you've been doing this for so long. Do you believe that design can be taught, like creativity can be taught, or is it something that comes intuitively? I think that... That's a, that's kind of that's an interesting question. That's a little bit it's it's hard to answer because I don't want to disappoint people, mm-hmm. but I do believe that there are parts of creativity that are innate. There are things that you're born with, the way that you look at the world and interpret your surroundings. I don't think that every part of design is teachable. 
And within the industry, you have people that are like highly creative and you have people that are more like technically creative. So you have people that are doing like renderings, working with um, photography, Photoshop, AutoCAD, and like there's a lot of creativity in that. And then on the other side, you have people who are doing more of like the conceptual brainstorming and like putting pencil on paper and like really coming up with a concept for a project that will be like the design, like the, the narrative, the language for the whole project. I don't know how much of that is teachable. The process is teachable, but the creativity is something I think you're... Well, it's something like it's a skill that has to be, at the very least, nurtured over time because it's not an easy skill. It is No, there's many skills that are practiced, but there is like this seed of creativity that mm -hmm. I think people are born with. When you look, when you look at a room... You, you look at it and you see what it could become. Is that how you, like the lens? Yes. That's a wild lens. Yes. So the bottom line, I think of what my job is and like what I can bring to a project to somebody's home is that I see what's not there. And then I can show you what it can be. Mm -hmm. But when I stand in a room or even on a lot of land, because a lot of my clients are also commercial real estate developers and sometimes we're starting with a hole a muddy hole <laughs> and you have to see everything and yeah that that's difficult that's very difficult so it's not just the inside of the space it's the building and like your connection from the outside of the building to the inside of the building what can be there um or you know i do i work with private uh private clients mm. i can't talk too much about them because a lot of them are nda clients but they're all wonderful people but, you know, we start from the ground up. So, again, we have a muddy hole, usually. And, um, you know, you have to just really visualize what can be there. So when I was <laughs> when I was in high school, I was never into art. I was always into, like, music. And I never, I never really got, never got, in air quotes, art. <laughs> it was very difficult for me. That's okay. <laughs> so when you are growing up and you're thinking about different career options, how do you think this is something that I love doing? Is it is it like passion? Does it like manifest in your own house growing up? Are you purposeful about it from a young age? Is it like something that was in your family before? Like where's the path that leads you to looking at a muddy hole in the ground and thinking I'm going to create this entire experience for a multi-billion dollar real estate property? There's a few answers to that question. Um... I have to give my parents a lot of credit. My family came from southern Italy uh, in Calabria. So, you know, we were raised in a one, one and a half generation in uh, into the state's household. And I don't think that it was really very common for for parents to give their children paints and crayons and pencils and be like, yeah, go do your thing, you know, like. Um, so I have to credit them with that. I was always creative as a child. Um, I would always draw portraits of people, houses. Like I was always drawing or painting or doing something, and they really nurtured that. And when I wanted to go to Pratt, which is um, in Brooklyn, they have a campus in, in uh, Denmark also, which I also attended. 
um, you know, my parents, like, then I think it became reality for them where they were like, oh, we actually have to pay a lot of money for her to be an artist. Uh oh. And they resisted that a little bit. But I was so persistent with them and so, like, determined that they were like, okay, fine, we'll do this. And they took out a loan on their house to send me to Pratt. Wow. Because I was so convicted that this is what I needed to do. Um, I got partially a scholarship for fine art. Mm -hmm. um, and I went there and, you know, you do your foundation year and they expose you to everything. They expose you to light and color theory. They expose you to uh, figure drawing, to sculpture. And then you kind of choose your major. And I remember walking into the architecture studio and um, and interior design, industrial design, like the more technical. And I just had this aha moment where I was like, all the lines are straight in here. I love it in here. <laughs> like there's order. Like you can create occupiable art. You know what? <laughs> you know what's funny? So anybody who's listening to this who is not an artist is like, oh my God, she's so far down the rabbit hole in <laughs> what she's doing. But it's but yeah, that but you've asked like this is this is how you know that you're in your like zone of genius. I think I, so. I think so as well because I've never looked at a room and thought that, <laughs> and I don't think many people do. But that's why you're amazing at what you do. So you start to you start like obviously this is very important for you. Your family's invested in you. Um, how do you sort of progress and differentiate yourself through your career so you play at the level that you're at now? Um, with a lot of intention, like there's the creativity part of it, which I think is innate. And then there's the practical part of this, especially in my industry, because if you're a fine artist, I mean, there's technical aspects to every, you know, art industry, but I think specifically with design and architecture, like you have to have a knowledge base of construction, of budget, of scheduling um, you know, and then there's the emotional part of it that you layer into that with your clients, because the way that we talk to commercial clients and about commercial projects is vastly different from the way that I would speak to residential clients, because for them, it's an emotional experience and you're creating the background for their whole life, mm -hmm. their family, their extended family. And when we're talking to commercial developers, you know, we're looking at dollars and cents, market um, demographics, you know, what what the market is doing in terms of like where people are moving, um, which is how I wound up here in Miami. <laughs> oh, so that's that's it was it was like looking at some of the portfolio and you were seeing, OK, this is actually where people are migrating to. This is where I want to sort of further my career. And this is going to and you forecast not just where the building is going to go, but the habits of the individuals that are going to be living in that building and so on and so forth. Okay. Yes, exactly. Well, I had a lot of clients that came down to uh, Miami from New York in 2020. They bought um, a lot of land here. So, you know, they, they were looking at the demographics. They were looking at, like, the flow of population from one city to another. And there was, you know, there's a lot of synergy between New York mm -hmm. and Miami. Miami is basically the sixth borough of New York at this point. It definitely is. <laughs> it yeah. may have been before, but now, you know, even more so. Um, so that's I started working on projects. I actually started working on projects in Miami in 2007, private homes, but they were for New York developers that were coming down here and like flipping houses. But then I really planted myself here about two years ago 
And um, now I'm opening up a new office on Miracle Mile in Coral Gables. So we're very excited about yeah. that. No, I was, I'm also curious when you look at your career success, do you think that what's allowed you to break out is more your business acumen or the actual creativity that you apply to a building? And I ask this because I think a lot of creatives have a hard time being highly successful in business. But you have seen, like you've, you've done it, obviously. So what do you think is the most important aspect or contributor to your success? Do you think it's the fact that you operate at this exceptionally high level, which you do, but was it that that exposed you to the people that allowed you to build a multi-billion dollar, you know, 500,000 unit building? Or are you like very tactical about how you build out your business, your brand, your connections? I think it's both okay. because I, I agree with you. I think that there are a lot of people in creative industries that have a hard time with the business aspect. When I started in this industry, you know, 17 years ago, I started working for an architect that was designing commercial real estate buildings. So from the creative, like right out of school, I went into the technical and dealing with these mega large projects is not really typical for interior designers. A lot of interior designers will go um, into like hospitality or um, private residential design. Some of them do more like decorating and taking on the design for like these mega projects, I think started to develop and like pique my interest when it comes to the business aspect. Um, I went on to work for a big firm in New York and then, you know, the, the economy crashed in 2008, 2009, and that company laid off a lot of people. Yeah, like, as did many companies. As, as did many, but they started a new company and I was one of, I don't know, 20 people that went with them. So watching that happen and understanding how the like really living through it i mm -hmm. mean like coming into the office and it's empty and just kind of like understanding how many people's lives radically shifted how many people's yeah. lives were devastated by this i think is what started to pique my my real interest in the in the business part of this that's smart i mean you realize that all these jobs that we thought were so safe are not actually that safe you learned it in 2008, 2009, because you were adjacent to the real estate industry. A lot of people learned it during COVID, unfortunately. And then again in COVID. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, that's when you branched it on your own. That's when, you, that's when you started to at least think, I need to sort of future-proof myself. So it was before that, actually. It was- Really? Uh, yeah. I started this, uh, the studio that I have now. Um, I started my studio in 2018. So after working in a larger firm, um, we had, you know, that firm was maybe 180 people. Was, for me, it became honestly overwhelming. Um, and I think that when you're, you know, maybe this is just me, maybe it's me in conjunction with the work mentality in New York, everything is kind of like go, go, go. You know, I maybe wasn't paying enough attention to the little voice in the back of my mind that was saying, hey, slow down. Um, and I... 
<laughs> Listen, everybody in New York is go, go, go. I think it's hard to have a voice that tells you to chill out when you're in New York. It's a very inspiring city. Yes, it is. It is an inspiring city, but, you know, you can kind of get carried away if you if you don't listen to the instinct, if you don't listen to your own instincts mm -hmm. and you don't listen to your body and your mind and, you know, if you're not aware of what is actually happening and how it's affecting you, that's where things can fall apart easily for anybody. And I think that that's an important lesson that I learned um, because I was really sick. I had a major medical event that could have like thrown anybody off, you know, they could have thrown anybody off the rails. I went into renal failure and um, it was then that I was, I had a major surgery, you know, I came out of that and I was like, oh, I'm still alive. This is awesome. I didn't know that was going to happen. And then I was like, okay, I need to like do my own business so that I can listen to myself and I can listen to my clients. Mm -hmm. It's what that we have to go through these like traumatic life events to like <laughs> basically set our life up the way that we should have set it up in the first place. But I don't think that you get the same appreciation without, without. No, you definitely don't. Yeah. You definitely don't. Okay, wait. Before we go down that path, I have very nerdy design questions. Please ask them. That I have to ask because what I want to do, listen, we're going to talk about basically all the different things that you've learned over your career and some of the some of the beliefs you hold. And I think that's actually going to be very important. But I also want to get into the more tactical design things. And I hope these questions are good because I was trying to do on what quest I'm very far away from this world so bear with me you're not though you're listen you're not, though you're gonna buy a house yeah I'm gonna, gonna buy a house it. yes but I mean <laughs> I I wouldn't know what to do I just I for me it's just I look at a room and I'll try and move things here move things there and it'll take me like 10 times before I can step back and say oh that looks okay versus you see this blank slate, and immediately in your head, you know exactly where everything's going to go to a degree. To a degree. To a degree. Still, what is what is your design philosophy? Like, what are the principles that guide how you look at a room and design? And, like, I only know, like, Art Deco, maybe, as, like, a design <laughs> philosophy. What would it, like, so benchmark for people just so they can understand what is design in 2023, 2024? How do you look at design? What are things that, if people are even like looking for a home, like where do they go? What what are the resources they look to? It depends on what kind of home you're looking for. Like the clients and the, like my clients and people that I work with, they'll come to me before they start looking for a home a lot of the time. Oh, I didn't realize. So there, I just learned something new. So that's how you're supposed to do it? You're supposed to find the... There is no right or wrong. Okay. There is no right or wrong. It really depends on, you know... you what you're looking for and how you're how you're looking to do it and how you expect it to be done. So, you know, if you want, like, say you're looking for a house that is maybe like a little run down and you want to make it into your own, mm -hmm. I would be a person that would be probably a good fit to work with because I can look at different properties with you and say, okay, with this house, we can do X, Y, and Z. This is what it will cost you. This is how long it will take this is how much you're going to have to invest. And then I would work with a real estate um, agent. You know, I, a lot of people that I know, good friends of mine to say, okay, if my client buys this house and invests this money and 
the design kind of looks like this, like, you know, what my aesthetic is combined with their, you know, personal personality, um, you know, in that, yeah. what is their sale price on the out? And that's how we search for property. Oh, that's very smart. So it's not just I've bought a house and now I want to make it look nice inside. It's this is a fix and flip or this is something like there could be like a very strategic business move yeah. and you bring in a, oh, okay, okay, because... I'm just, now I'm going to ask my friends that do these if they have a designer that works with them ahead of time. Because I think a lot of them buy the house and then they're like, okay, the cap rate's good, whatever, we got it at a deal. Like, you know, there's a lot of work we have to put into it, but I don't know if they're working with a designer before they actually buy the property, which would be a mistake. Well, no, I mean, some some do and some... You're very kind, by the way. I think it is a mistake. No, just like it, logically, it makes sense. It does make sense because then you see the complete picture from somebody that can actually budget it all out right? versus just the financials that look good. But I mean, you don't understand what the actual quality of the design would be on the back end. Right. Well, Or the price, rather. It depends on what you're doing. Like, I have clients who are, you know, politicians and, you know, they very... They have a lot of resources, yeah. basically. And they just want what they want, um, and it needs to be beautiful, and they like my aesthetic. They like working with me because they know that the job's going to get done because they know that they're hiring a pretty type A, going to get it done yeah. New York girl who wound up in Miami. Um, You're going to clean up down here. You're <laughs> going to absolutely clean up down here. I have a, I have a whole other side side issue with the design that exists in Miami already, but whatever. We'll leave that alone. But yes. So, you know, be because I have this background in commercial real estate development, yeah. I tend to apply it to everything, even when I am working with clients who are like, I just want what I want. I want mm -hmm. it to be beautiful. And, you know, I will take them through the same process. How much can you sell this house for in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years? Um, you know, are we setting up for retirement? Are we setting up for new family, like someone like, you know, families that are going to have children and expand? Are we setting up for, uh, you know, some like major change of life? And what does that look like? Some people are saying, OK, well, I want to buy a house. I want to make it look beautiful. And then I want to sell it in five years. That's very different from somebody who comes to me and says, I'm building an estate for my family. Course, yeah. And it will remain in the family. So the way that we look at materials and make choices is different. Very smart. So so bringing it back to like that word design philosophy, is there a, like a, a name you put on this philosophy as to how you design a house or is it? Well, I would say that my my aesthetic is a warm is warm and modern, but still classic. Um, you know, I went to Pratt Institute, which is a, you know, they train you in traditional techniques, at least when I went there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that I got a little bit of a of like an old school architecture training, um, good. which I, yeah, which today I totally appreciate. Yeah. Um, and then I, I studied in um, Copenhagen and, you know, being there and and learning about how they approach design with a lot of natural materials and natural elements, um, I think that that is very important. So in terms of like the philosophy behind the way I design is we're part of nature. Everything that we pull out of the earth will eventually wind up back in the earth one way or another. 
we change, right? Like we change over time. We age, things change. We have kids, they grow, they change. So I like to use natural materials, marbles, woods, metals, and materials that you can see came out of nature because over time and with use and through weather conditions and, you know, when the sun hits the wood floor, like they will change color. Mm-hmm. They will change texture. Um, you can see the use in them. Like, you know, say you buy a really gorgeous leather couch. It just looks more beautiful over time because you can see the use in it. And I don't like to use materials that are plastic and static because we're not static and design should not be static. Your space should grow over time with you. It seems like there is an over-indexing on these like clinical kind of uh, builds. I don't know how to put it. It's like they're so, they're, they're so devoid of life and soul. And this is, I mean, I've seen them in uh, condos in Toronto. I see them in some glass boxes down in Miami. So it's interesting to me because they're very modern. But to your point, they look so like soulless. I don't know how else to put it. So in your in your mind, when you look at different design elements, I love a Californian style. I think California does a really nice job of creating modern plus classic. Yes, and on it's warm. Our, it's warm. Yes. Do you find that that style is starting to permeate New York, Miami? Do you feel like, because that's the style that I think Miami actually really needs. I think it needs more of that modern but classic style. Yeah, I mean, I would, so what I saw a lot, yes, I do I do think that that style is becoming more appreciated. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, for a long time we were looking at fake materials that were imitating nature, but they don't really imitate nature because, again, they're static, like, you know, plastic laminates that look like wood. Yes, they're very effective in commercial settings, like, you know, in elevator cabs. Like, of course, yeah. you know, in commercial buildings, like, yes, there there's a time and a place for these materials. And, you know, I appreciate that and I respect that and I use them when I have to. Um, but I think that overall especially after COVID and people being now stuck in those spaces and looking at their walls and going, oh, I'm in a white box. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that there's a greater appreciation for these warmer natural materials and warmer palettes that you do see in, you know, in California. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, you do see that. Um, And I, I think that you're you're going to see it more and more here as well. When somebody is designing a space, and let's let's obviously the levels that you play at for commercial are phenomenal. But I think that when a lot of people are listening to this, they still care about their own personal space and assuming that they're you know creating this beautiful environment inside their house. I know that a designer like pulls out elements of a personality in an individual or a family and applies it to a house. Can you walk me through that concept of like how you do this and what does that actually mean? So give me like an example of you have a client, pick a random client, don't name a name, but how would you take that person and their personality and like turn it into an actual environment they can live in? 
okay, I have a good example of this. Um, I was approached to design a house in Connecticut. It's a it's a big estate. It's about 20,000 square feet, so it's a big one. Um, and I was looking at the architectural plans before I met the family. And there was a slide that took you from the second, uh, the main level of the house down into the lower level. And I said, oh, these people must be fun. <laughs> That's amazing. They must be fun. I said, oh, yes, I can't wait to meet them. So my hunch was correct. They're very fun people. Just the most amazingly kind and fun-spirited people. And so after working with them and getting to, like, understand their personalities, uh, I'll, I'll give you one very specific example. Um, there's a speakeasy, and the slide is behind a hidden wall panel. I love this. <laughs> this is fun. And you can slide down um, into the bar that's downstairs. And, you know, there's, like, a little powder room close by. And I said, oh, we have to find something fun but still like goes with the aesthetic of the house and I found this beautiful from a distance beautiful wallpaper but when you get up close you can see that there's monkeys smoking cigarettes <laughs> in the wallpaper and like little brassiers hanging and like they're drinking vodka that's like, fun and you know I was just like I know that they'll open up the door and crack up at this but still it's a beautiful wallpaper <laughs> So you do, you incorporate elements of the personality into like everything. Yeah, so when yeah. people come over, when they're just living in the house, they recognize elements of themselves. Oh, 100%. I love, and this is, this is, so this starts to create like a home out of the environment. Exactly. Exactly. Like we are creating homes from houses mm -hmm. and basically just making space for their lives to happen in a, in a way that they will be comfortable for a long time. When when is the right point? Because we have to be cognizant that not everybody has a twenty thousand square foot estate. Of course. So, um, the other the other side of the spectrum is people that are getting their first home, their first condo. Just give give advice to those people on how they can still create a home without, for example, going to the extreme and doing everything that they can't. They probably can't afford. What are those things that they should be spending money on? Like those sort of like those mission critical things that can really change how they view a space. So I think you start with the basics. If you're buying a home and it's your first home purchase and you really want to make it feel warm and inviting, mm -hmm. invest really well in a big comfy sofa that is a neutral color. Get the basics in your home in in neutral tonal colors that are warm, earthy, whites, creams, taupes, and and start there. If you create that foundation, you can layer on top of that. And I would always say to stick with natural fibers. Like if you're going to buy throw blankets, buy wool, buy linen, buy cotton. Don't buy um, fake fabrics, you know, the more natural materials that you buy, the longer they'll last and the nicer they will look. You know, like people, you can really feel those things when you go into a home. Mm -hmm. And another big thing that I, I specifically see this in Miami and it drives me bananas is that the light color temperature in the bulbs 
that mm-hmm. they install in the homes are very blue. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution. It's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now, and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC. Everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash Clary and get a two-week free trial. Let 1Password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free. I wouldn't have ever thought of that. Very white? Yeah. Well, we're going to go to your house and I'm going to check it out. You can, yes. (laughs) Yes, 100%. Because then it's like no matter what you purchase, even if the color of what you buy, even if you buy a beautiful warm taupe Mm -hmm. sofa, you put it in that room and you turn the lights on. And if the lights are not a warm, natural white, the color looks crazy. So you never will achieve that 
that warmth that yeah. you're looking for. Um, I'm sure you deal with this a, a lot as well, but we are in a culture of like fast fashion and and buying cheap things that end up breaking down. When you are sort of pointing people in the right direction for sort of setting up their first home, let's, let's like we're always going under the assumption that the people we're speaking to have some sort of budget. They have to be careful because if it's unlimited budget, then this is a mute point. It doesn't matter. But if they do have budget, um, if you cut corners and you buy very cheap stuff, obviously that's not going to play out well in the long run. I mean, <laughs> between, I won't name, there's a lot of stores you can buy a lot of cheap yes. design stuff from. I mean, you can also order it straight from overseas, whatever. Um, so let's let's give advice for people. Where should they go to buy things? What's like the minimum sort of caliber or quality? So they're not cutting corners, but it's not going with the most premium option, but at least they can like get started. Like, where would you say this is like, don't go below this? So actually it's a Canadian brand. Really? Yes. Um, what is it? EQ3. Oh, I know EQ3. Yeah. I, I think their stuff is beautiful. It's all for the most part, like natural materials. Yeah. Really simple, modern, but still classic. The price point is not outrageous. It's really not. It's probably right in line with the, you know, West Elm and CB2. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the past couple of years, CB2 has really stepped up their game. And, you know, you can you can buy your basics at like an EQ3. Yeah. I love their brand. Everything is, is manufactured. They're not that expensive. They're not that expensive. Yeah, I know them. But all of their stuff is manufactured in Canada. So it doesn't have to, it's not shipped from overseas. It's, it's driven. So you don't really have, you're not making like a, a big uh, carbon. Yeah. You're, you know, you're not. Well, yeah, you're getting to the carbon footprint. The <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that's so that's a good place to start then if somebody's trying to start to decorate. Yeah, and if you don't want to go to West Elm and like have your house look like a West Elm showroom, mm. go to EQ3. Like I think that their stuff feels a little bit more classic. I love that because I think that people um probably get lost after you after you get past like that first iteration of buying things for your first condo and then they don't know where to go next. Yeah. And you can easily spend unlimited amounts of money on yeah. things quite quickly. And I think a good, reliable source of aesthetic, design, cost, quality is is very useful. Yeah. To oh, I would also recommend um, Our House. What's that? A-R-H-A-U-S. They just carry like a really beautiful, beautifully curated collection of pieces that feel a little bit elevated. But again, the price points are not outrageous. I love this. Okay. No, that's very, very good. Um I want to talk about I want to talk about some some of the sort of business lessons that you sort of uncovered throughout your whole life and oh, career. So many. There's a lot. I know there's a lot. Um, is there any sort of last tips, pieces of advice? I mean, you can go down the rabbit hole on anything design related, but what would be like one last sort of bit of wisdom that you would want to pass over to somebody that is looking to create a home out of a house? If you hire a designer listen to the designer that that personal experience it's not no i have to say i respect my clients and they respect me but you know when you're when you're getting off your feet in the business like it's hard sometimes for people to hand the reins over to somebody else especially when they're investing so much time and money like i understand that i really appreciate it 
But, you know, if you're going to work with a designer and, and spend the time and the money, you should really listen to that designer um, and try not to overstep into their lane because then you create issues. Like, you know, sometimes not now, but maybe a few years ago or maybe a little more than that, you know, you have clients that are like, oh, let's cut corners here or let's, mm. you know, cut corners there. And I'm like, no, cutting corners is expensive. And cutting corners with designers is expensive because then you wind up doing things twice. You wind up paying for things twice. So mm. I would say if you're looking to make a, ho a home out of a house with a designer, try your best to relinquish power to that designer. Well, you have to trust the process. <laughs> you have to, tr Yeah. You have to really trust the process. And it does take a lot of trust. And a lot of that trust building is on me, the professional mm. in the room, you know, when I'm working with residential clients. Um, but if we're talking to somebody who's not going to work with a designer and they want to make their house feel more homey, definitely take a look at those light bulbs because that will cast the I love It's such a color. small thing, too. It's, well, it's not a small thing, but it's like a thing that somebody wouldn't intuitively think about. Right. You're right. I mean, I do. Yes. I, you know, sometimes I walk into people's houses and I'm like, oh, my God, it's like a surgical suite in here. Like, yeah. How do you live like this? <laughs> no, because people don't. Because you don't yeah. realize it. Yeah. People don't realize it. Like, you know, you walk into your room, you turn the lights on and you're like, oh, there's light. Cool. Yeah. And then you keep going. But you don't realize how much the the lighting and the color temperature in a room can affect your mood. Um. And, well, and well, this is one of the things that you talk about too. You talk about wellness through design. So maybe just speak on, on that point. So like everyone's everyone who's listening to this is thinking, okay, so yes, turns a house into a home, personality is reflected in my living space, gotta switch the light bulbs, <laughs> so on and so forth, whatever. But talking about actual wellness. So when you say wellness through design, what does that actually mean for somebody? It means a lot of things. So I believe that, you know. And maybe this gets like a little bit woo-woo, but it's really not. Like you... Let's go there. <laughs> Let's go there. I'm here for it. You know, you... Um, we're all living beings, right? And we absorb what's in our environment, whether that's in the air, whether that's, you know, chemical scenting, whatever we're sitting on, using, ingesting, and surrounded by, we are absorbing so this kind of goes back to my um, design philosophy about use of natural materials. I believe that if you are in a house or in an environment where you're surrounded only by hard, non-porous surfaces like plastics and uh, man-made materials with acrylics and, and resins and, you know, chemicals that I can't even pronounce... Yeah. It's not great. Um, I would much rather see anybody living in an environment where the floors are made of actual wood and the countertops are made of actual marble or limestone or, you know, whatever. Well, I don't think it's woo-woo to, to say that, like, your body, your skin is the largest organ in your entire body and... I mean, even the, the, the soaps you use and the clothes you wear, like Absolutely. everything can permeate your skin. Like, like, like it's not, like it's not, it's not like crazy science. Like I've spent a lot of time in the transdermal space 
everything can permeate your screen. So I think that if you're constantly sitting, touching, being around these things that are, you know, made with all these chemicals, maybe, maybe sealed with something that's like a spray or whatever it is, I'm sure it's not like great for you. Like, I, I, I mean, it doesn't take a, but you don't think about it. You're not thinking about it because it's not actively affecting you in like the, you know, six months that you're whatever. Right. right. So, but, but, you know, like when we're setting up a, a home for somebody, we know that they're going to live there and like, you know, it's like, okay, we can't, like, for example, you get out of bed in the morning and the first thing that your feet touch is the floor, Right. The bottom of your feet, when they have, you know, they're bare and the first material that they touch, you don't want that to be a hard porcelain or like a plastic vinyl floor because your energy has nowhere to go also. And like this is where the woo-woo stuff maybe starts to come in. You really want to put your feet in the morning on a wood floor, so that you know it's soft you're 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 waking up in softness you can put your feet on something natural you know everything is about how your energy flows and when you are sleeping the air quality the type of sheets that i buy for my clients where the bed is positioned how the light comes into the room how we control that light you know air filtration systems like all of these things affect us Significantly. Significantly. I mean, even you can take it one step further. That's why people say you're supposed to go uh, outside in the morning and, and walk on grass with your bare feet. Absolutely. It, it's the same concept, right? It's the same concept. You're it's just taking grounding. it a step further. Exactly. It's grounding. It's grounding. I, I don't like putting my feet on hard porcelain in the morning. It feels unnatural. Mm -hmm. I think most people just compensate with a rug or a, something like that, but it's still not it's not, it's not real wood. Right. You know, I'm working with a client right now um, in Sunny Isles, and he was like, I don't want my feet touching anything that's not a natural fiber. So we put silk carpets on almost every surface that, like, where you would walk or sit. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, they weren't touching the hard floor. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, the Success Story Podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. So if you like this show, you'll love some of the other shows in their network. One of my personal favorites is the Hustle Daily Show. It brings you a healthy dose of irreverent, offbeat, and informative takes on business and tech news, and you guessed it, every single day. Some of their recent episodes that were my personal favorites, how AI is making fake IDs, how to meet your favorite CEO for a few thousand dollars, and also how TikTok is turning into an online mall and starting to replace QVC. If you love business, if you want to get it daily, listen to the Hustle Daily Show wherever you get your podcast. And it's so bad now because, I mean, like these these um, these like fake materials are so prolific. I actually don't remember the last time that I've walked into a house with a real hardwood. It's been a long time. And I've walked into some nice homes. It's not like these are like no, well, of course, and, they're and it, beautiful homes. Yeah, but they're they're expensive too. So it's it's just not. You know what? I feel like it's not even. Um, it's like it takes maintenance and it takes work to have real hardwood. For like a... I mean, yes, obviously, like there's realities to like you know, being maintenance friendly. Like it depends on your lifestyle mm -hmm. too. 
um, you know, people with like a lot of, you know, I have clients that have like, you know, two or three young kids and, and dogs and, you know, we know. So, you know, maybe the wood flooring is only on the main level of the house and then the kid, you know, like we yeah. have to be practical also. I'm respectful of that, but. Um, but you have your North Star that you're working exactly. for. Exactly. That's, I think, what's important. Exactly. And I'll give you, I'll give you one very, I'll give you an example that, um, why it's bad to cut corners and why you should always know where your materials come from. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to name names because I don't want to get any. We haven't named any names yeah, on this I'm podcast. Do that. We can easily, but, but we won't. So. <laughs> years, yeah, years ago in New York. Listen, I I bought furniture that breaks while I'm assembling it. So like, I've tried to cut corners <laughs> before and it doesn't work out. It, it doesn't work out in the long run. No, it never does. Um, I was working on a big project multifamily development and i specified i picked out a beautiful marble for the countertop mm. and you know there was a lot of these countertops and the developer was like yeah that's beautiful we'll find something that you know looks like it but is less expensive you know i was younger and i said yeah, okay you know like I, I didn't fight i didn't fight to uh direct to continue to, to direct them towards my north star i you know i hadn't found my voice yet let's say that um, so they found this material overseas and they shipped it in and it turned out that because of the country that it came from and where the material was, uh, pulled out of the earth, it was, um, very high levels of radon were, God. yes, marble is a natural material. It's mined out of mountains. Yeah. And you have to be careful about where you take it from. So what did, what so happened? They were going to install these countertops. How did you figure this out, that it was high in radon? It wasn't until later on. Um, it wasn't until later on in the process. I think that there was an article, there was something that came out that I saw, and I was like reading it, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think this is where this client was buying this yeah. marble from. And then they... They had it um, checked, and it was high in radon. And I said, okay, well, you can't use that. And this particular material was bought by other developers. There was a couple of articles about this, um, mm -hmm. but it never turned into, like, a very big deal. I just happened to know about it because I'm always, I'm looking for it. Well, you're thing. in this world, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but still, if a, whole, if a whole condo, if they found out that every, I'm assuming that's carcinogenic to some degree. Well, you know, it's dangerous, and I'll, you know, I'll, do, I'll say this about anybody. Like, you know, think about the height of a countertop, mm -hmm. and what part of what part oh, of yeah. your abdomen is like up against, of course, you know, cooking. You're standing there, you know, these things are things that I'm like very aware of. Where the materials that I'm specifying, like where they come from, you know, what's the quality control, and you know, all of that. So, like, they had to scrap all that material and buy new material. You just gave. A ton of people a new thing to stress about but cool the point is <laughs> i don't think everyone anyone has ever thought about that but that's actually a really interesting it's it's, it's not like a common no, danger but it's just something that you know you never know what will happen when you try to cut a corner and go to a resource that is less known yeah yeah no very very important okay let's I mean, you've built an incredible business. You've learned a lot along the way. I have. <laughs> you have. And now it's expanding. Um, no, it's done very, very well. You've obviously had a lot of great points, a lot of 
difficult things yeah. that happen too. <laughs> so where do you want to start? I want to give some lessons over to people that are building their thing and they're looking to you. They're looking to you as a mentor, an advisor. One of the things that you do discuss is that a successful business happens in stages. Maybe unpack that a little bit so people can understand that wherever they're at in their process, it's okay. <laughs> yes. I think that this is an important thing to talk about. I think that, you know, you hear people who you view as successful say things like, just follow your passion and the money becomes secondary. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, people will say things like, you know, don't worry about the money, it'll come, like things like that. And I, I think that's really frustrating for people to hear because then they're like, okay, but what do I do? Like, what's the first step? Like, what what do I do? And that's what I want to talk about. And I want to be very clear. There's no magic pill. There's no overnight, like, no easy thing. There's a lot of hard things and a lot of difficult things. And I think you have to be really comfortable with sitting in uncomfortable in in you just have to be accepting that uncomfortable things are going to happen and you have to sit with it mm -hmm. and then still keep moving forward so what i suggest is to you know reach out to people in your industry that you admire it doesn't have to be like um it doesn't have to be somebody that would intimidate you it could just be somebody who you know maybe is a few steps further along the line that you want to get some advice from invite them out for a coffee sit down i would say don't like i wouldn't make the point or i didn't when i was doing this to ask for work i was just kind of putting the energy out there and saying hey I'm going to start my own studio and like, this is my vision. What do you think? What are your thoughts? And I got all kinds of feedback from different people. And I- You got work from that too, I'm assuming? I did, but I wasn't asking for the work. Mm -hmm. It just came naturally. Like, you know, I would have a coffee with somebody, kind of tell them what I was doing. And then a few weeks later, I would get another phone call and they'd be like, hey, a friend of mine just like bought this house. They're looking for an interior designer. Do you think you could help them? So, like, the more you put the energy out there that, like, this is my passion, this is what I want to do, the more that will come back to you. I think that, you know, even when you're starting out, everyone's looking for that, like, that one big thing that's going to take them from zero to wherever they need to be. And to that point, putting the energy out there, having hundreds of conversations and taking all these sort of micro steps, like, you build, you start to build. And exactly. I think that I think that in business, getting even from zero to a million dollars in revenue is probably the hardest thing that anybody can do. Even zero to a hundred thousand, like forget forget a million. Zero to a hundred thousand yeah. is like the hardest thing. Yep. Because you are learning how to create value exactly for an individual, and then find a way to exchange that value for money. And then hundred thousand to a million is still very difficult. But you'll notice that it's not easy. But you'll have this flywheel going yep. as you continue to grow and then i would say a million to five million five million to ten like it starts to become easier and easier it starts to compound yes um i think that there's a lot of practiced skills that are really difficult and that part can be frustrating like sitting in uncomfortable situations 
sitting with fear, you know. What do you mean by that, sitting with fear? Sitting with fear. You're starting a new business and there's a lot of unknowns. You know, fear doesn't have to be some like major event that's like overwhelming you. Fear happens in the everyday. Like I have to call a new accountant. I have to get an attorney to set up, you know, my LLC. I have to, you know, go through all of these steps. And it's like, if you've never done that before, there's a little element of fear, which I think is totally normal, but that could be overwhelming um, if that can be overwhelming, mm. full stop. Yeah. But I think that one of the most important things that like I can say to people is trust your instinct and keep putting one foot in front of the other and don't ignore your instincts. Like if it's something more than fear and your instinct is telling you, don't talk to that person, don't make that phone call, don't pick up the phone, don't send that email, listen to your instincts but don't let any kernel of fear stop you. Don't let that be the the thing that stops you from putting. If you think it's a good idea, right. if you trust, if your gut is telling you, yeah, exactly. of course. If exactly. somebody's off, then walk away. Whatever. Exactly. But that's not fear. That's like you said. That's your gut. Right. <laughs> and that also is that also is um, sort of improved over time. Like your ability to figure out who you should associate with, who you should work with, who's full of shit, who's yeah. not. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, another thing that I love that you that you speak about often it, that energy is currency. You just spoke about energy. Yes. But speak about energy as a resource, because I think that's also something that entrepreneurs struggle with. You have a great example. So you would rather work with a client who pays you a hundred dollars and makes effective decisions, versus a client who pays you five hundred dollars drives everyone crazy. Common sense, that seems to be, that seems to make sense, but common sense isn't common. And how many entrepreneurs would take that $500 client and just deal with the BS? A lot of them. Most of them. Myself included. I mean, I've done it. I'm saying this from experience. Yeah. Um, you know, it happens to all of us when you're getting started out. Somebody comes to you and they're like, oh, my friend bought a house or is buying a building or, you know, whatever. Can you do them a favor and then there'll be another project? The answer is no. The answer is always no, because for every 10 good no's, there's an amazing yes. And I think that this is also another fear point where you're like, oh, my God, should I turn this down? Should I not mm -hmm. do this? Don't do anything that you're not comfortable with. Just don't do it. It does, you know. Um, I've had to eat ramen noodles. You've had to eat ramen 100%. noodles. 100%. You know what I mean? Like, and this is why I want to like focus on this because I think that, you know, people who are looking, you know, like watching TikTok or, you know, whatever. And they're like, oh, these people are making so much money. And like, it happened like that. But no, it didn't. It didn't. I had to, I had to turn money down to get the client that I really want that really resonates with mm. my philosophy where I could add value and they could add value and there's mutual respect. So I take the client who pays $100 and is a joy to work with than the client who's going to pay me, you know, huge dollar amount, but 
is going to suck all of the energy out of me and my staff and my team and everything. Like, it's not worth it. No, because you also have to think there's going to be another client after this one as well. And what people, what entrepreneurs end up doing to get, you know, like the, we just said zero to a hundred thousand is the most difficult thing to get to because you're proving out this concept. They take any and every, any job, any job they can get their hands on. Right. And then they can't find the jobs that they should be doing because they're already doing the jobs that they shouldn't be doing. Exactly. And then you're drowning in work that doesn't really resonate with you as a person. Yeah. So then, you know, even when the good one comes along, you're stretched so thin that you can't take the good yes. Yeah. You know, and you don't want that to happen either. Like you want to make sure you have bandwidth to take on the really great projects and did this happen to you when you were, did you take on stuff that you shouldn't have taken on? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my God. Yes. And that, you know, that's kind of where that, that's where that, <laughs> that's where that, <laughs> that's where that comment came from. You know, you have somebody that comes to you and it seems like a really good project. You know that they're underpaying mm-hmm. you for your work. And that in and of itself says a lot about that person where they feel comfortable kind of taking advantage of a situation where you're like, oh, you know, maybe this person I can pay them a little less because they're just, you know, but they're, they're talented. Starting out, but they're just, yeah. Yeah. How do you, so again, when you're starting out for somebody who's a, any kind of service provider and you are at the beginning selling your time for money. Yes. How do you balance that? How do you balance that dynamic? Because there are people that will pay you a little bit less, but it could be in line with what you are, what you, what the type of work you want to do, but they offer you a little bit less because you're newer, but you're like, listen, this is not a bad client. They're not necessarily taking advantage of me. Maybe I haven't like articulated my, my value properly yet. How do you respect your value? Well, to the point, like, how do I put this? At what point do you turn down like lower offers? At what point do you feel like you've proven out your value? What are like that, that, that KPI that you set for yourself where it's like, listen, I'm starting out, but I'm not going to accept like work below this threshold. Um, how how did you sort of walk through that exercise yourself? I think that you it, just draw a line in the sand, and you're like going forward. I'm not taking projects under this amount for this amount of work. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, yeah, I did. I had to do that because I changed my whole business model. But in the beginning, um, I think it's okay to. T- I'm not saying turn down work that's not you know, paying top dollar. I'm saying just take, if somebody's going to pay you a little bit less or you're just getting started out and you're not making what you want to make, be very clear about what the boundaries of your services are and hold that boundary. Mm-hmm. You know, if you tell somebody, I'm going to do this project and I'm going to take 100 hours, do the 100 hours and then, you know, you have to respect the bounding box of what you're charging them for it's like you you can't say i'm going to charge you for 100 hours and then spend 300 hours on the project and then you've made no money yeah so i would say that it's fine to take on projects where you know maybe the money isn't quite there yet but if the person you're working with and the project that they want to do resonates with you personally then that's great because it will just create more opportunities in that same vein and you can build on that. As long as it's as, as long as it's coming from a good place. So you know that the person is paying the rate that the market thinks you're worth. Exactly. They're not undervaluing you. They're not taking advantage of you. They're not asking for like they're not this, there's no scope creep. 
Right. Yes, exactly. which is very important too, because that's also a thing. Like yeah, people like, ask for this and that. It and, happens. Yeah, I'm sure all the time. I'm sure all the time. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Especially when you're starting out, because you're right. Even if people don't, even if a customer doesn't intuitively mean to disrespect you, like a customer is a customer, so they'll always ask for a little bit more. And like as a early stage entrepreneur, where you are actually just trading time for money, it's not like you're selling a product or a piece of software or a, you know, a consumer good, you're selling your time. Right. It's like setting those boundaries respectfully and pushing back on extra work, I think is one of the most important things you can do. Absolutely. But it is so hard because there's like this imposter syndrome that every entrepreneur will always have. And it's very tough to say, I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Because you're worried that they're going to walk away. You're worried that they're not going to have a nice referral. They're worried that whatever it is but I think it's very important. It is very important. I don't think, I, and this is one of those fear points yeah. that you have to sit with. If they walk away, they walk away. And the chances are that they won't walk away. They will respect you as a professional for having a boundary. Mm -hmm. I think that's very important. Um, 
and I wish more entrepreneurs respected their own value, their own time, because then you, they get into this this really, really toxic place. Yeah, but I think it's it's easy to get there when you are not always practicing resiliency. Like you have to be comfortable again with fear and being uncomfortable. So this is another point. Resilience is a skill. Yes. So talk to me about that. How do you practice resiliency? It's a mental exercise. Um, it's something that's really difficult to do in the beginning. And this is one, this is a business skill. This is not like an innate thing for people because when we're uncomfortable, you want to like get out of the situation. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> but I think that it's a balance of like listening to your intuition, trusting your intuition. You know, okay, intuition tells me to do this, so I'm going to do it even if I'm uncomfortable doing it. And you and being able to do that over and over and over and over again because every day will give you something different. Mm -hmm. It's not like you're working you know, when you work for an employer, there's a lot of stability, right? You know that you're going to get a paycheck. You know that you have health insurance. You you know, you know what your benefits are. So there's a consistency and a stability that doesn't exist outside of that working model. You know, when you're working for yourself and you're an entrepreneur, you don't have that stability. Mm -hmm. So resiliency is, is, is a practice skill. You have to remind yourself of this every time something bad bad happens and and say okay that sucked cool i'm just gonna keep going <laughs> um so bad things happen to all of us especially entrepreneurs um probably more more than we'd like to admit but you make a good point so good things can come from very bad things yes so just to inspire maybe some of the audience pick a story a story that you're like you're comfortable sharing pick a story about sort of like a low, like a shit hit the fan moment in your own personal life. I'm sure there's been many, but pick one or two, whatever. But tell me sort of like the the 180 from that particular event that led to something good. So I'm not comfortable sharing this <laughs> and I have fear about it, but I'm going to do it anyway because yeah, I think practicing resiliency. exactly <laughs> I am practicing resiliency. I think it's important for people to hear because I think that when bad things happen and I think when bad things happen, sometimes it's easy to choose to not make a choice. It's easier to say, I'm a victim. Um, something bad happened to me and it wasn't my fault. And now I'm just going to sit here in purgatory you know, and and not take that next step forward. So right before I started my business, my left kidney stopped working. It was a crazy freak thing. I had a blockage. I was very, very sick. I had fevers for, I don't know, eight months. Jesus. Went to so many doctors. Months. Oh, no, I was really, it was really bad. But after like a week, you don't go to a doctor? I No, I did. I went to many doctors. Oh, but they just couldn't figure it out? They couldn't figure out what it was. You know, they were like, oh, but you're young and you're healthy. 
and this is so weird. And then finally I went to a specialist and they gave me a CAT scan and they were like, oh shit, your kidney is like blocked and it's, it's not working. Like this is very, very bad. So they, you know, but like leading up to this and, you know, just. Do you think it was stra stress? Or, I think that. Is that a thing that happened? Well, I think that doctors are probably hesitant to be like, her kidney stopped working because she was stressed out. Of course. Yes. Okay. Fair. Nobody's going to say that, you know, but I will tell you that I believe it was from long-term stress. Yeah, I do. I really and do. And just chronic over periods of time, something gives. Exactly. Yeah. Like something is going to give. Maybe it's not your kidney. Maybe your maybe your tummy hurts. Like, you know, like it could be anything. Um, but this was like, this turned into a medical emergency because when your kidneys are not, you know, those are your bodies, that's your filter. Mm -hmm. And without the filter, you can't absorb uh, nutrients. Like I was um, severely deficient in like B12, which affects your vision. I was losing my vision. The It was like a... a, a a cacophony of <laughs> kidney failure is, is death yeah and you were just living for eight months with kidney failure. I it was longer than eight months that this whole process took but yeah I mean I was dragging myself and it happened so slowly the problem like it was it was you don't realize when your baseline is being affected over a long mm. period of time it wasn't like an event, like one event where you're like, oh, surgery. Of course. You know, it was a, it was a, over a long period of time. And um, so I, I finally I wound up at this renal specialist. Thank God this guy saved my life. I had um, Da Vinci. I think that's the name of the machine, the, the fancy machine that does microsurgery. Well, I think I don't know it that well, but maybe you could be. It sounds like a name for a fancy microsurgeon. I think that's what it is. Um, and they fixed my kidney and my bladder and my ovary. So wow. um, it was a pretty major. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but leading up to that surgery, I didn't eat solid food for three weeks. I was a mess. I was probably, you know, half the person I am right now. And I think it was really easy, and the recovery was the recovery was worse than the yeah. <laughs> than the surgery. It was so bad, but so for like a year and a half of your life, yeah, I was really, really sick. And I truthfully, when I tell you this, in all honesty, I thought I was going to die, and I thought that I had died. And when I woke up from that surgery. I was shocked that I was alive, really. And I don't like I don't tell this to too many people, um, but I think it's important for people to hear how bad things can be and how much you can come back from them. Mm -hmm. You know, looking at me now, you would not know that. No, of course not. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Um, and that can sideline your whole like is a thing. When something like that happens, it can either sideline your whole career and you can spiral and you can say, I lost a year and a half of my life. And it's, it's very difficult to have like these conversations and to sort of like walk through the two paths to, some, to somebody who's having a hard time because you always say like, don't be a victim. But then they're like, don't victim blame. Like, don't like, right. And 
and I'm like, it's I'm not, and you're not. But what you're saying is like, please just pause for a second, like remove the anger and frustration from your situation, yeah. and like know that there is light on the other side of a yeah. really shitty, horrible, life changing event. And you could have gone both ways. Exactly. You could have spiraled. You could have not had a great career. You could have been stressed out. You could have been like, why did this happen to me? It actually was like lighting a fire under you. And you're like, well, if I'm not dead, I guess I better make something of myself now. Yeah, exactly. I had a moment. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like I popped off the operating table no, no and yeah. <laughs> tap dancing into my new life. That didn't happen. It was, you know, a long um, recovery. But, mm -hmm. but in that, that's when I started when I could, when I was able to just have like simple phone conversations with people, letting them know, like, I'm going to start my own studio and this is what I want to be focused on. And the response that I got from people was humbling. I can't even describe, like, I, after maybe having over months of time, 15 or 20 phone calls, just like, not telling people that I was sick or anything like that, just saying like, hey, you know, I'm going to start my own business. This is this is what, you know, this is like my idea. This is what I want to do. The response, I the gratitude that I felt every day when my phone rang and somebody was like, hey, I'm buying a house or my friend is doing this building or, you know, we really need a designer to come in. I was hum I seriously humbled. I Cry. I was like, I can't even believe what putting that out there, like what came back to me. So I think that very good things can happen when bad things happen. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that somebody who's having a tough time right now, if anybody out there is having some like awful life moment where you're like, <laughs> just fuck. Yeah. Just Put one foot in front of the other, even if you can't see where you're going, because you don't deserve to spiral. Like you deserve, you know, more than that. You owe you owe it to yourself. I do believe that, and it's so difficult to hear, like in that moment. But the way that I like to sort of structure like this thought is: there is always somebody who's had it worse than you, who has achieved more than your wildest dreams. Absolutely. Like that person exists. Yep. And it's not easy, but it's possible. Yep. All you need is possible. Exactly. If it's possible, it can be done. Exactly. And I, I don't, you know, it's uncomfortable for me to mm. talk about this and yeah, I don't like to, but I think that there's probably a lot of people that, you know, get sidetracked by things. It doesn't have to be a medical event. It could be anything. Maybe you got divorced. Maybe, you Death, know. We... divorce, lawsuit bankruptcy, medical. Anything. It could yeah. be anything. This is just, you know, my personal experience. Um, and I just made a decision that I wanted to create a business that was more in tune with myself and, you know, more respectful to my belief system and the structure that I wanted to create. And so that I didn't have to, like, force myself into somebody else's mold. Um and that's kind of the idea that I've been running with. I think that's a great life mantra. <laughs> um, so 
I have a couple questions, just like like rapid fire to to close it out to get some final insights, and we're gonna push people to your social to wherever you want to send okay, them. Okay, cool. But is there any last like bits of wisdom that you want to leave the audience with from your experience, design, entrepreneur, life, anything we didn't go into? Did I write something there that you're looking at? No, that I'm not. Remembering? No, it's not that at all. I'm I'm just giving you the floor. <laughs> We spoke about everything. We spoke about wellness, design, business stages, resilience, um, difficult life events, starting a business, putting one foot in front of the other, energy. Um, one thing that I did, uh, we didn't go into this, but this is a theme. Yeah, we could do that too. But thank you. <laughs> we got we got we got we got friends sitting off camera that are keeping us keeping us honest um <laughs> so we can talk about yeah just very briefly like your experience in miami and well this actually no this will be like the wrap up because i want to talk about like what your plans are for the future and miami is part of it obviously but you have an like an exceptional belief in yourself and what i mean by that it's not meant to be like an egotistical thing I think it's very important because you have to believe that you're the best for your clients. You have to trust that you are. Why is that an important mindset for an entrepreneur? Because you're so my clients, they have plenty of resources. They could work with any designer in the world. They could work with anybody, but they chose to work with me. So I have to I am convinced that I'm the best choice for them. Mm. Um, and I that is also an uncomfortable um, thought to have sometimes because, like you said before, you mentioned imposter syndrome. And that's very real for a lot of people. And I think, Everyone. for yeah, I mean, for everybody. So, you know, when you, ha you, know, you have these moments where you're like, oh, I'm running this business and I need an adult to, like, tell me what to do. And then you're like, oh, I am the adult. I know what to do. And then you have to have that like uncomfortable moment with yourself and say, no, I am the best choice for them. They chose me. And when you when you are convicted in this and you you know, like you really know that you are the best choice for your client, I think that it allows you to bring the full power of what you're able to do because you know that they respect you. And you can and you respect them and that mutual respect breeds creativity and just, you know, positive outcomes because everybody's on the same page. You're being like in practical terms, you are compensated the way that you want to be compensated. They are receiving services that they expect. And, um, you know, my hope is that I would always exceed their expectations because a lot of people don't know what to expect when they first start out working with a design firm. Um, so you go into every relationship with that mindset. Yeah. I love that. So, yes, what are your plans? So now you're in Miami. Now I'm in Miami. So what are plans for the city? So um, my office in New York is in Tribeca, and we have a lot of clients in the Northeast Um and, you know, that office will always be there. I grew up in Brooklyn. I grew up in New York. So that's, you know, my, my, um, that's. Stopping grounds. You know, those, that will always be my home. Um, but now we're expanding into Miami over the last few years. And my husband and I are 
in the process of uh, relocating. So we'll be, uh, we're looking in Coral Gables, which is well, where we're going to be, where yeah. you guys yeah. are going to be. So that's cool. Um, I'm opening up a new design studio on Miracle Mile in Coral Gables. The first thing that I did was remove the vinyl floors and put wood floors. Good for you. <laughs> you, you listen, you practice what you preach. You exactly, <laughs> exactly. Listen, get this plastic out of Yeah. Um, so the plan is to set up permanent shop here in Miami. So we'll be based in New York and Miami. Good cities. Permanently. Yeah, there's a lot of synergy between the two cities. So Yeah. And I think that, like you said, we're just another borough at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, where can people sort of see some of your work, connect with you? Where do you want to send people? So um, my Instagram is a good place to get a real vibe of, like, you know, my design style. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's just, it's my name. It's the business name, Karen. Esprit. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah. It'll all be there. You okay. can find it. <laughs> um, my website is really great where you can see my work specifically. Um, is that your name.com? Okay. Karenespraya.com, yeah. yes. Um, and, you know, clients who are really interested in working with me should reach out to me directly because a lot of my clients, as I mentioned, are NDA clients. So we can't advertise their work for security, privacy reasons, you know, mm -hmm. they're political or, you know, they, they, they just... They don't want people to know where they are, what they're doing. Or what their house looks like. Or what their house looks like. Um, so we don't talk about or advertise those projects. But when somebody reaches out to me privately, you know, we show them that work um, in a more like secure way. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So if you were going to go maybe look at like the, the all the lessons you've learned over your entire life, which there's been a ton. But you had to go tell your 20-year-old self one lesson. What would that lesson be? Um, seriously, like literally, what I would tell my 20-year-old self would be to stop being dehydrated. This is... <laughs> what? Because when I was... Is this what led to the kidney thing? No. No, it, no, it actually... Uh, maybe. I think so. No, no. To a degree. I No, I think that my advice would be to take care of your body. Yes. Take care of your body more than you are doing it right now. That's always good advice. Because it affects everything. The, the amount of sleep that you get, the kind of food that you eat, the way that you treat yourself, even mentally. Like, don't say mean things to yourself. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I think that it's easy to kind of slip into that. You know, you mess up and you're like, oh, fucking idiot. But don't like don't try not. Hard. Yeah, like try not to. Am I allowed to curse on you? You can swear as much okay. as you want. Yeah, I have. I've been holding it back because I'm like. <laughs> um, I think that it's hard. It's easy to be hard on yourself. So, don't try not to do that. Um, and take good care of your body because that is how you will be successful. Like without that foundation, mm. you can't do anything else. Oh. And th this goes along with that. Take care of yourself first. You know, when they you get on an airplane and they're like, you have to put your your air thing on yes, first. Yes, put your mask on before you put on your kid. That take is, care of yourself. It, but that's real. That's a real thing. You know, I I see a lot of people who are like, I need to help. I need to do this. I need to do that. like, you know, you can't spread yourself too thin. You have to focus on yourself, on what you want, even if you feel selfish doing it, because ultimately. When you get to a place where you are successful, 
then you can really help other people. You can employ people. You can empower them. You can educate them. Like, you can't do that if you're spread too thin and if you're, you know, not taking care of yourself. I love that. When you look at your career and, and everything you've accomplished and you sort of look to the future, what does success mean to you, personally, professionally? I would say that success for me professionally would be only working on projects that really resonate with me personally and working with clients um, who respect my design philosophy and who, who are looking and interested in the idea of wellness through design. I love this. But what about personally? What's your success metric for your own life? So for my own life personally, um, I think the two kind of like bleed into each other. Definitely, yeah. But um, I think that having the time to take care of myself, like to sit in the morning and like have my my team be supportive enough where like I can take the time that I need to prepare myself for my personal life to take those breaks before you come home, like not bring that stress into your house. If there is any stress, you know, there usually is um, to just be at peace and not to feel rushed all the time, which I don't anymore. Like now that I have my own business and I can kind of operate the way that I think it should be operated, I don't feel that that like that stress. But it took it took a while to get there. It took a while. I've been doing this now seventeen years in total from the beginning. So, yeah, I love this. Well, okay, I appreciate you a lot. I appreciate you not only talking about the design elements and sort of like tips for people that are just trying to turn a house into a home, but I really, really appreciate your thoughtful approach to entrepreneurship and building a business and sort of like telling over some of the stories that you've gone through in your life because they're very, very meaningful to people that are just starting out. I hope so. More than you know, like well, really more than you know. I appreciate you interviewing me and having me on your podcast. And I appreciate that you create this platform to bring you know this message to people. I think that everything you do is so positive and I really love that. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.